0: A rollin' rollin' all along the highway. Wheels that keep a rollin' all the night day. Singin a song of the men behind the mortar trucks, a song of safety and service all along the way. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Classic Pickup Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whips, and I hope you enjoy this episode. episode
1: 20 ls conversions this episode i caught up with gareth houghton and we had a good chat about ls conversions gareth has over 70 ls conversions under his wing and knows what he's talking about when it comes to these motors so it was really good to catch up and have a chat with him last week's episode with troy brody from think engineering saw an unprecedented number of listens for the podcast and really really happy to get all the feedback we have and and it certainly proves it's a topic that uh, everyone needs to know about at the moment, especially uh, if you're up there in New South Wales. So thanks, everyone, for reaching out and uh, giving me a bit of feedback. And, and apologies to people if we've all of a sudden burst your bubble. But uh, the sooner you know about changes, the better. And, and have a chat to your engineer and, and just see what's going on and, and where you can go from, from there. But on a broader note, if you're looking at putting a LS in your car or your truck, uh, this is a great listen. And uh, Gareth has got some good information. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Gareth, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for taking the time to come on and have a chat to us, mate. Yeah, my pleasure. So um, let's start a little bit about your background. I mean, what, what sort of got you into cars and things in the first place when you were a young bloke? Can you remember all that?
2: Yeah, I don't know, really. Hey, I um, I, I guess I just, you know, as I got into my teens and things like that, I started getting more and more interested in cars. Um, you know, I saw movies like Mad Max and things like that, and I got really excited for the old Falcon Hardtops and Started buying street machines. Um, I ended up gravitating into minis somehow, just sort of did. Um, I had an old old fella nearby who was quite into them, and he, he showed me some skills and things like that, and he sort of taught me the ropes a bit of cars. So, yeah, it was all minis at first, but, you know, big big bought-out Cooper S engines with, you know, big 25-horsepower shot of nitrous and just dumb little minis, um, going and dra- dragging off the bigger cars of the day and things. But, yeah, always loved the classic big, big shape and stuff of cars and the australian and american cars very cool
1: it's it's similar to the volkswagen guys i think you know that with the beatles the power to weight ratio of those things you can really make a sleeper that that rips off a good um muscle car can't you
2: oh you can i remember one of my earliest little drag racing memories um on the streets of blacktown was uh I pulled up to the next to this girl in this black beetle and I thought I'm going to have her, I had my little Cooper S engine, like the first iteration of it, um, in, in my mini panel van. And I was, you know, I was going to get this girl and man, she was two, two wheels off the ground and she was out of there. Hey? <laughs> and I ended up finding out later, she was the daughter of some, you know, famous VW dude. And you know, the car was like an 11 second car in the nineties. And yeah, I mean, she handed my ass to me, so you know you never know hey I, and i love sleepers and that's part of the love for rat rods you know i've i've built i've got sigma I've built sigmas with ls's in them or granny spec i got over there i got a volvo um 240 wagon with an lsa motor in it makes about 550 horse um so yeah sleepers and dumb stuff it's it's cool <laughs> what
1: what was so the first car you you had registered on the road was that a mini
2: that was a mini yeah um yeah, that was going to be a bonding project between me and my father and I think I wanted to do it one way and he wanted to do it another and we told each other to where to go and and then I finished off myself. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, it was But I look you know, that was how I learned. That's how I've learned everything the hard way, just go and buy something and yeah pull it all to pieces and then yeah, work out how to put it back together, I suppose. Yeah.
1: And what was the old man's story? Was he a bit of a rev head or is he no, in the trade? Um,
2: no, not really. He was, uh, he's good with wood and things like that. He's very good with wood. I hate wood. Wood's a, it's a, it's a weak medium is wood. You know, I mean, you had to make those pencil cases in high school and mine ended up with fucking split everywhere and all that. And you know, wood was never my thing. Um, metal's more my scene.
1: <laughs> yeah. You can't weld up a wooden box.
2: No, that's right. It's just too unforgiving. You gotta to be too, you know, I don't know, too finicky with it. It's, metal you get in there you get a hammer you get a welder you blast it up it's yeah it's it's, it's a lot better
1: <laughs> so after the minis what was the next iteration for you
2: what did i get after that i got an xc xc falcon um which was a woefully disappointing car it did a good burnout and that was about all out going for it big 351 full of rust just a terrible terrible car really and i think after that I sort of, I did another mini after that. And I did a couple of other things, a couple of mark on escorts and things had some, some stuff like that. And then I went and bought an AR international, um, just a cabin guards. Um, and I, I pieced that together on a one ton chassis, uh, with an LS in it. And that was the first, first LS conversion I did. Um, so sort of, yeah, pieced all that together. Got it engineered, painted it, chopped the roof, all of that stuff. You know, I learned a lot doing it. Um, just did it all in my little garage at the time. Uh, yeah, just, you know, just young and keen, I guess, um, and and push my way through it. And then I think after that, I built the Sigma with the LS1 in it. And that was, um, yeah, it was just a Sigma wagon, like a full granny spec Sigma wagon with with a LS, little cammed LS1 and a four-speed auto. And, it was you know, it was quite a fast car. Uh, it was an 11, 11-second 11 car. Uh, it looked like nothing um yeah so i have got fond memories of that car i've been trying to actually track him down to give him because i do little bill plates for the conversions i've been trying to track him down to give him like the 001 bill plate because that was the first ls conversion i ever did but uh yeah I've, I've never found it but yeah that was a cool car um i remember when i was coming it was about 2006 i built that so i was coming back from the engineers uh, just after getting it all signed off at the time and uh, I was coming up the coming up the Blue Mountains up the hill, you know, where I live, and I pulled up next to a brand new V E club sport. Um, and I went out the window, I said, Oh mate, you know, that's beautiful and he told me how he'd had it on order for nine months and he just picked it up from Heartland Hold and he was just on his way up the hill in the first drive with the missus and he was pleased as punch. Um and I said, Well, do you reckon it'll beat the Sigma? <laughs> <As you did. laughs> and I, I destroyed him in the little sigma and I could see the look on his face he was gutted um and actually saw the car for sale about 3 weeks later <laughs> and I'm sure I'm sure it was getting done by the sigma that um yeah that broke his that, heart. I, that broke his heart and broke the whole car for him so yeah that that's a fond memory sorry mate but yeah suck, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and so
1: what's What's your background automotively like? Did you, are you a mechanic
2: by trade? What, what's your profession? Um, I was actually, came out of school, I went and started engineering coming out of school and I was just, I don't know, man, I was just too, maybe just wasn't in the right space for it. Um, and I dropped out of that and went and did, uh, social work, um, and actually done a bit of that sort of stuff uh for quite a long time in my career but i've always built cars myself on the side and i've had jobs working on cars on the side as well and things like that um and then i don't know about 10 years ago i decided i better get qualified and and yeah decided i'd have a career change Um, so i got my mechanics qualifications um and yeah i guess i haven't looked back really from there Mm. oh that's cool so your first your first ls swap you said what was that into a sigma that was the Sigma. Well, the, the hot rod, the hot rod was first, but I didn't, I finished the Sigma before I finished the hot rod. <laughs> I sort of had a little little break from the hot rod it was like a four year project. So I did the Sigma, I, I took two weeks off work and I did the Sigma in two weeks and did all that little Hilux diff and front brake conversion and yeah, just crammed it in there and yeah, I loved it. It was great.
1: Yeah. And the Inter was your first pickup?
2: Yeah, that Inter was my first pickup. Like I say, I really, really tried to do everything properly on that. It was a HQ chassis, and I narrowed the chassis a bit at the back so I could fit a Dana 70 diff out of an F truck in it. Uh, so I had the dually diff. I uh, got it down nice and low. Like I say, chopped the roof. Um, because it was on a HQ chassis, I had to do all the, you know, side intrusion bars, safety glass, ADR-approved lighting, etc., cetera, etc., cetera um and by that time i was sort of in love with the ls's i thought they were just you know the best thing to to put in a car for reliability and modern drivability and fuel economy and power and you know they just ticked all the boxes so yeah that one got an ls2 in it and yeah it was just a great truck and i drove it i drove it for a little while and then it just sort of sat there and i was doing other things the conversion business was starting to sort of pick up a bit then um, and i just thought i'd take the money into the business and i you know i sold it, put it up for sale it sold in a week and yeah that that went so yeah then i got a i got a dodge fargo it's the background picture for the facebook page i've got that mounted on a hilux chassis but i've sort of been a bit slack with that i've sort of lost interest a little bit because what i was building wasn't going to be very practical with a a turbo 400 and a supercharged ls running e85 and i think god what am i going to do with this thing you know And then I, I've always been into cab overs. Like I always love weird and wonderful pickups. You know, everyone, everyone wanted a Chev and I'm like, no, I'll do an Inter. One, because they were cheaper, but two, because it was different. You know, everyone had a 55 Chev. Um, I thought I'd I'd do an international. So then I, you know, I was looking at all the weird and wonderful stuff you could, that was out there. And I, I sort of stumbled across cab overs and I was like, oh my God, you know, these are, these things are phenomenal. These are ridiculous. So. It's, it's been a bit of a dream to get one, and I, I got a GMC, um, 48 GMC cab over uh, last year. So, yeah, that's going on a C30 chassis with a Cummins, actually. Not, no LS for that one. I thought I'd have a break from LSs and do a diesel, but, yeah. so And I've bought and sold a heap as well, I've, more than I can remember, really. I've, I've bought ones and then just mocked them up on a chassis and sold them on as unfinished projects. I've done quite a few things like that. But yeah, I think I'm going to start hoarding them all again now and just start building one at a time on the side because yeah, it's it's what I love, building the pickups, definitely. Yeah, I hear, I
1: hear So your cab over, tell us a story about finding it. Tell us a story about shipping it back here. How did all that happen?
2: Um, well, I, I started just looking on a Facebook marketplace, I suppose, because I mean, the American, it's its hard trying to search stuff over there. Like the Craigslist is all done by regions, although you can, I've now found sites that you can search it all. But yeah, just looking for stuff on marketplace and then hitting heaps of dead ends with Americans. Um, you know, sometimes they can be a bit paranoid, I think, the Americans, you know, they find out you're from overseas and they just automatically assume you're trying to screw them over on some level. But yeah, after having about five or six drops through, I found a guy up in Washington State who had two of them. And I thought, well, cool. I'll buy them both. I'll ship them back. You know, I'll I'll make mine cheaper and all of that. So, but yeah, it was it was a bit of a a bit of a process. You know, getting them. I mean, he could load them at that end, so that was all right. But then, you know, trucking them back into the depot and this and that and chasing the shipper I used at the time. You know, he wasn't very good at picking up his phone. Great at taking your money, not so good at uh, communicating. Yeah, it was a bit of a stress getting them back. And then you get them back here and customs, uh, you know, slug your 700 bucks to wash them just to spray them with a the gurney. And yeah. I said, what do you, you got, you know, a rocket scientist in to wash them or something? Because that's half an hour on the gurney. <laughs> but look, in the end, I got them. So I was wrapped. Sold one, almost paid for the other. So yeah, did well. Yeah, did good. very well. Um, Yeah. And then I decided, like I said, I decided to do something different. I knew I'd need a big chassis. So... Originally, I bought a Dodge Ram from auction uh, with the Cummins four-wheel drive and everything in it. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to use the whole chassis. I'm going to use everything uh, and the motor. But, you know, the motor didn't work under the cab. You know, those Cummins, man, they're a meter tall and two and a half meters long almost with the transfer case. They're just massive. So it didn't fit. So I ended up getting a C30 chassis, uh good old C30. And, yeah, and converted it to two-wheel drive, the, the motor and box. and so, yeah, now it's going to sit behind the cab in the C30 chassis, and, yeah, it'll be a good truck. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah,
1: and it'll be a bit quieter for you. Imagine having a Cummins sitting right underneath you.
2: Yeah, well, sort of bum under the turbo. I wasn't too keen on that, and it would be like resting your arm on the Cummins almost. It sat tall. Um, and, you know, I want to get the kids in it, and from just reading a few things on American forums, a lot of people said sit, sitting on top of a motor in a cab over is not much fun. You know, you can insulate it to the end of the world, but it's still going to be hot. Mm. Um, Oh, totally. I'm going to have all the mod cons. I mean, that's sort of what I like out, you know, I want to do with rat rods and things I build is, you know, they should start first go, they should get good fuel economy, they should be powerful, they should be comfy, they should have air con, they should have nice seats, they should have all, you know, they should drive like new cars, you get get in it and drive to Darwin if you want to. So that's, I mean, a lot of the LS conversions I do for people, I, I take that same model. So, yeah, I mean, that's sort of where I'm heading with it. It'll be all the mod cons and all that stuff. Yeah. And so the the C30 chassis,
1: I'm guessing, is an Aussie right-hand drive. Yes. And you've got a left-hand drive chuck. Are you going to
2: convert the cab over? Yes, I am. Yeah, I will convert it over. But, I mean, there's really not much involved in doing that in an old truck. You've got the obviously you've got a sheet of metal with the gauge cutouts in the cabin. Um and that's really it. I mean all the steering it doesn't matter if you start with a left or right hand drive cab really, um, in terms of rebodying onto another chassis. Yeah, it really doesn't make a difference. So I'm gonna do a uh this the C thirty, the steering doesn't quite go the right way and I wanna put a rack in it anyway. Um C thirty power steering setups go for a fortune. And then oh, nothing brilliant. So I figured uh, I've already measured up a few racks and I think I've got a rack that'll work in it. Um, so I'm going to do a rack conversion and yeah, and then I can sort of stick, stick the head of the rack wherever I want and it'll be right for the cab over. The, the Dodge
1: power steering box won't work?
2: Well, it probably, the Dodge one wasn't bad, uh, but I'd have to move it all from the Dodge chassis to the C30 and sort of work all that out. Um, it seemed easier to do a rack plus the dodge was four-wheel drive uh, so that had a solid front diff Um, and it's a bit of a weird setup in the front and look honestly I don't think it was right-hand drive converted that well Um, it had no lock one way heaps of lock the other way it sort of it was a bit weird as a lot of right-hand drive converted trucks I've driven have been they sort of feel a bit weird in the steering Uh, I'm not sure if they're quite doing the angles right and you know, getting the bump steer settings and things like that right. So I thought I figured I'd just do it myself, <laughs> and then I know it'll be right.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. No, I only ask because so my suspension's all C twenty, and yeah, uh, and I've got the Cummins which came out of left hand drive Ram. Right. And when I brought it back, so we flew over to America, we bought the truck which was a runner, mm. and then I basically took a, a an oxy uh, an oxy torch. And we, we cut the chassis straight through the rails, right behind the transmission mount, cut the drive shaft in, you know, just after the, um, the yoke and then cut all the suspension off. And I shipped it back, literally still bolted to the chassis with a radiator and everything, and it still had the power steering on it. And yeah, okay. what, what I've worked out, which is working out just brilliantly is that as a left-hand drive, the power steering is on the inside rail of the left-hand chassis rail. Yes. And and the C20 right-hand drive um, is on the outside rail of the trunk? right-hand chassis Yeah. Yep. So it's just going yep. to swap straight across, and yeah, you know, it's got the it's got the right power steering um, pump and everything on the Cummins. So yeah, I'm pretty happy. It's going to work really nice.
2: Yeah, yeah, that will. That's smart. We thought about that when we're doing front-mounted racks, right-hand drive. You think well, you either need that or you need a a rear-mounted left-hand drive rack. Getting you know, then switch it around and yeah, no, that's a good idea. It is a good idea. Something I want to start doing more of is is getting over there. Um, I mean, I'm finding motors and boxes, just especially with this virus, everything's been getting very hard to get lately. Uh, everyone's at home doing their projects, which is great, but as someone who goes through you know 10, 15 LSs a year, it's <laughs> it's been problematic trying to find stuff. Um, so I think the answer is probably. To start bringing a bit of stuff back from over there, you know, throw a few LSs and a few diesels in in a container and with some trucks or something, and yeah, do it that way. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, like you say, as long as you know that there's a there's a 50% chance you're going to get slugged your seven or eight hundred dollars fumigation and wash, you know, like I I had the same thing with the Cummins, you know, like I pressure washed that thing to an inch of its life before we shipped it back, and yeah. then it's, when I went to pick it up from the um from the depot, basically he said to me, I said, What do I have to do next time to not have this problem? You know, like you know, <laughs> I thought I, wa- I thought I washed it really well. Yeah. And and he said he said, Look, it it totally depends on which guy comes and inspects them. Some guys are super anal and they'll just make you wash everything. Some yeah. guys will have a bit of a look and go, Oh yeah, they're right, they're right. So he said,
2: You can't really do anything, you've just it's just a
1: Coin toss. Yeah.
2: I mean, I liken it too, you know, I mean, there's old fairy tales about a troll that's under a bridge that makes you pay to cross the bridge. That's how you avoid it is you don't cross the bridge. You know, if, if you're going to bring stuff into the country, they've got you by the balls and you're going to, you're going to pay what they want for the fumigation and whatever else. I mean, in terms of quarantine, there's not much anyone can do, although I hear Melbourne and, and Queensland uh, ports are a lot better, uh, a lot, you know, a lot more reasonable. Sydney's a bit cruel um in terms of what they slug you with so that but then you've got the transfer cost interstate so you know i mean i think yeah i think for him i've I've got a different shipper now i've made it made a connection through selling the cab over actually as you do in the hot rodding world um who does a lot of importing and he's sort of not a big business for him it's something he does as his passion so i'm going to be able to get some stuff in his containers and yeah i think it'll it'll be as good as it can be Mm. Cost-wise, yeah, mm. so tell us
1: a bit about your business. So it's LS conversions. Yeah, um, pretty self-explanatory, I would think. How did how did that all start, and and how's you know what what sort of things are you been converting into?
2: Um, I guess that well. That really started, I suppose, with the Sigma and the Hot Rod, um, and taking them to events and things like that, and people asking me starting to ask me if I could, you know, do something similar to their car. And that's really all how it started, uh, just off cars I built for myself. Um, I mean, I like to push myself building stuff a bit, Uh, you know, I'll I'll build a nice car and I'll sell it. And then people, my mates will go, you're crazy. You know, that was a beautiful car. I said, yeah, but I keep the skill. I keep the skill that I, I gained in building it and I'll get more skill building the next one. So, you know, the cars are, they're cool the skill that you keep anyway so yeah i started doing a few for people um we did some weird ones early on i think i did a I did a sylvia for myself like an s13 sylvia little nissan which is about about the most fun car you can drive with an ls in it i mean they're phenomenal driving car um so that was really fun and then early on we did a e46 bmw for a friend of mine as well and then the commodores old commodores started rolling in thick and fast you know vks vls uh, especially LS swaps, heaps of them for people. Um, and then I got connected with Mark's adapters, the four-wheel drive uh, mob down, in, down your way. Yeah. And they, yeah, they sort of, yeah, had a look at some of the stuff I was doing uh, and wanted to put me on as an approved, you know, one of their approved fitters sort of thing. So then the four-wheel drive started coming in. Um, somewhere in there, I built a highlights like an 82 highlights for myself with a tough little LS1. I uh, drag race that went ten nine in that, um, so it was quick, quick little highlights. <laughs> and that was just a, like a Camdella Swan with some ported heads and in a light car with a, a turbo three fifty gearbox. Um, it was nothing, nothing special, but yeah, it was pretty hairy. I mean, you know, coming through the the traps, you know, the door would sort of peel open about two inches at the top, and you know, things would be shaking, and it was pretty violent. But yeah, that was fun. Um, and again, you know, the sleeper, nothing like beating off a brand new, you know, supercharged Maloo or something in a Hilux that looks like it was worth less than your shirt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we've just done all sorts, really. Um, the motto really has been that, you know, we'll put an LS in everything. And you've done
1: quite a few classic trucks over the years?
2: Yeah, I've done quite a few. We did an old, we did an old Austin van. Um, we've had a bit to do with a couple of old Fords, uh, like 50s Fords. Most of the truck stuff has been more my own stuff. I mean, what, what I have done and what I do do a lot of is I do standalone wiring looms for people. So they pull the LS loom off the motor. They send it to me. I'll convert it with um, its own little relay and fuse box. Uh, I'll take the security off the computer. I'll change other things on the computer like you know the TACO output to be right for their dash and you know, all sorts of fan settings where the fans come on, all that stuff. You can change all of that with LSs. It's really cool with the computers, with HP tuners and stuff. So so I've done a lot. With, I've been a part of a lot of really cool hot rods because hot rod, most hot rod guys, they, get it, they build their own stuff. Um, and they're perfectly capable of mounting a motor and doing all of that stuff. It's just when it comes to the wiring side of things, they're a bit, um, you know, a bit apprehensive and, and rightly so. There's a lot more wires than there is in an old carbide motor. You know, you've got four wires versus 40 wires, 50, well, probably 100 wires in an LS. So there's there's a lot more going on. Um, so, yeah, doing a lot of standalone wiring looms for people. And we've been parts of, you know, they've gone into, I don't know, like 32 high boys and, you know, all sorts of old Fords and Chevs and, you know, Nash's, Pontiac's and all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff has ended up with them. Basically, any hot rod that you can close the bonnet, I think. It's probably ended up with one of our looms in it at some point because they're not the prettiest motor to pop the bonnet, but yeah. I mean, these guys have them in their daily drivers um, and they just go, yeah, they're great motors. So
1: Yeah. Have you seen the dress-up
2: kits that they put on them to make them look car Yeah, 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 yeah. We've done that with a couple of them. Uh, I've done that with like EK and early Holdens, also because the engine bays are very short and you don't really have room for the throttle body off the front um but yeah we've done that on a couple of them we did it on a Hilux for a fella and i've seen some really beautiful ones you know come out of here and the states where people have custom machined you know to fit like old Ford rocker covers on them and all sorts yeah. of yeah also like i'd like to do a lot more of that sort of stuff it's cool i mean generally with when you're doing a conversion for someone because you're doing everything and you're often doing the brakes and diff as well if you did if everything was you know 10 out of 10 top notch it'd be be 100 grand build where people have sort of got you know maybe 20 30 40 grand to play with so you know the aim is to do everything neatly and reliably but not excessively (laughs) if that makes sense yeah no
1: absolutely so so let's just say i'm just getting into all this i've i got on ebay one night and i had a couple of beers and i I bought a chef cab off a guy, and I'm like, "All right, now I'm going to build something." Yeah. Um, I'm I'm not in New South Wales, so I can do an engine and a chassis swap at the same time. I've got a, you know, I've found a HQ one tonner or maybe I've got a high whatever whatever I've got, and mm. and I think I think yeah, I want to put an LS in this thing, LS the world. What what's your basic advice? I mean, you know, here in Australia, what what was the first? Was it VT? It was the first car
2: that yeah, came out of an LM? That's right. The Series Two VTs were the first ones, um, and they were prone to some piston slap and, and a few things. They they didn't have them that well sorted at that point. Um, but really, any any LS anything is good. Really, I mean, the big things with LS is a lifter noise. Um, you really want to hear it run. That's the advice I would give. Hear it run hot and cold if you can, and if you can't, pay a lot less. Um, mm-hmm. That would that would be my advice. The LS ones, I mean, they're great. They're great motors. The LS ones. They've done a lot of work uh, in a lot of cars. You know, you go to any burnout comp or anything like that, and you see just bog stock LS ones just getting their next ring for minutes at a time and doing it tire set of tire after set of tire. So they're really good. Um, the four-speed autos that come behind them, the 4L60Es, and not so good, especially when you start getting a bit more power and performance into your LS, um, they start getting a bit weak. But they are also, they've got an overdrive and a lockup up store converter and they're computer-controlled, and we can do a lot with them. So they are still a nice box, but they're just not your out-and-out out power choice. Obviously, all the, anything that bolts to a 350 small block bolts straight to an LS as well. So all your Turbo 400s, Turbo 350s, Power Glides, all that stuff, all fair game with LSs. Then I guess coming into the VEs, they went to 6 liters and the 6L80E gearbox. Uh, which is a gearbox we use in most 4 drives and in a lot of cruisers. I'm about to put one in a HG fairly soon, and they're really nice. You know, they're, they're good strong boxes, the six gears, the first gear is very tall, um, and they've got two overdrive gears. So in the Commodores, they run like a 2.9 diff ratio in those auto cars. So you can afford to run, you know, any yeah, anything from like a 3 to a 3.3, three, somewhere around their diff ratio, um, and still have really good pickup. And at a hundred Ks an hour, you know, it's doing a 1200 RPM. Whereas if you've got a small block with a turbo 400 and some three nines and a cam trying to get it going a bit better and all of that, you're doing like three and a half grand, it's howling, it stinks. It's, you know, so yeah, I, I yeah. think the, I think the six liters are great with the six speed autos, they're really nice. And then you're into like your LS3s and LSAs, which, you know, obviously start to get big, big dollars. Um, you buy crate motors and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then, of course, there's all the iron block stuff from America. So, all the LS's that you got here were an aluminium block. In America, the bulk of the ones that were in their trucks had iron blocks. And they're what we're really prized here for turbo and, and supercharged applications because they're very strong. Um, this nugget behind me here is like a 408 stroker iron block. We'll put an 88 mil turbo on that. It'll do 12, 1,400 horsepower. So big numbers available with, with the iron blocks. But even normal LS, a lot of people turboing stock LSs, getting six, 700 horsepower uh, reliably. So power, power is not an option, uh, not a concern with LSs at all. You know, you can have as much as you want, really, and you can also still have the manners. You know, they don't stink. There's no fuel smells. There's no oil smells. There's no, you know, they start, they run great cold. You know as well as they're tuned anyway so yeah i, I just yeah. think they're the motor for the moment really i think they've taken over the small blocks yeah as being just the the default choice i suppose for most people
1: and and would your advice be you know say we've got that hq chassis we've got a, a you know whatever cab on it would your advice be probably spend a couple of extra dollars get yourself a running say it's a vy or something get a running one you've got the right fuel tank with the fuel senders and all that sort of stuff there's does that make a big difference or, or would you go to find a wreck and, and grab that? It doesn't really
2: matter. Generally, I wouldn't Generally, I wouldn't bother going to the trouble. If it's VT to VY or LS1, all you need out of that is the motor and box and uh, the engine wiring loom and the um, ECU. That's that's all you need. You're probably not going to use a lot of the rest of it. I mean, the fuel tanks in, in them are plastic. Uh, they're not. They're nothing special. The fuel pump assemblies themselves are quite cheap. You know, they're 150 to 200 bucks um, And, you know, Rod Shop and CAE and, I mean, anyone with a lathe can do, they do these welding rings for, for your fuel tank, like, let's say, in your HQ. Um, you can put an LS1 pump in a HQ very easily with one of these $120 weld-on rings. You weld it into the tank. You sit the LS pump in there. Great. Um, but even then, you know, setting up a fuel system is, is really very you know it's pretty straightforward so yeah i I wouldn't necessarily go to that trouble in most things and i'm a i'm very against i like i hate it when you see like a nice old truck and you walk up and look in the window and it's got like a vt dash or something in it just think it looks awful um and i think it ends up more trouble than it's worth you think i'll get the whole car and i'll use the ac and i'll use this and i'll use that and i'll use everything out of it but it never works that way because the chassis is different the firewall this that the other they just don't work. So I, I'd just grab the LS and then, you know, go to aftermarket for, you know, my AC kit um, and, and a wiring kit and whatever. I mean, people say, I'll put the whole wiring out of the, the LS-powered car in. I'm like, okay, you're going to have wheel speed sensors for your ABS. You're going to have this, that, that. You know, there's all these features you're not going to be able to incorporate. Um, and you're going to have a Christmas tree of lights on your dash. Looks shit. Engineers not going to like it anyway. You know, it's just... So no, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily go that way. Um, With the VEs, I wouldn't really either. But the VEs are a bit different uh, when you're doing standalone looms. So the VEs, the engine loom is on the engine um, and that goes to the ECU. But there's a second plug on the ECU that goes into the body loom. And when people are doing conversions, they want to do conversions. They often don't get that from the donor car, that second plug. So if you get that second plug and a foot of wire, and also the pedal and the pedal plug because you need that fly-by-wire you need all that to make the standalone loom and to buy those plugs individually and things like that you can spend some dough and normally they'll just go they'll get scrapped with the car if you don't take them so pedal pedal plug and the second ecu plug for anyone doing uh getting a motor in box for the ve's um another thing that's very important with ve the ve and vf motors is having matching components so with an ls1 you can pull any auto any ls1 auto to it and it'll be fine uh, with the ves it doesn't work that way you need the ecu to match the uh, transmission ecu which is inside the transmission so you need to get you, you need to get all the stuff from the donor car you know, you start trying to piece things together, you get by buy a gearbox off Gumtree and then you buy a, an ECU off somewhere else and this and that and try and piece it together. You're probably going to start having problems that you don't want to be having. So, you know, it's, I mean, a big part of doing conversions and doing them smart is to ruling, ruling out as many variables as you can. You know, it's not like we're trying to fix one thing on a car that's presented and is otherwise fine. We're trying to build cars from nothing. So when you've got, you know, when you've got wiring and then you've got different engines and gearboxes and this and that, is the wiring the problem? Is it the gearbox? Is it this? Is it that? Just try and try to make it simple for yourself by getting it all out of the same car. That's my advice. What about radiators and things? Would you would you grab the radiator or it might not fit? Or I mean, in conversions, you know, LSs are pretty good with the radiators. You don't need anything too fancy normally. Um, so with... Doing conversions, I mean, doing a uh, doing an old truck, you know, like a C10, C20, or something that's got a wide front. Yeah, sure, you might grab the radiator. Um, why not? Uh, it might it might well work. But more often than not, you just buy a radiator to suit the car, and then make the hoses suit the L. Make the hoses suit the LS. That's what I would normally do. So if I'm doing a Commodore, like a VB Commodore, I just buy a radiator for it. When I did my Fargo, what I did find was an AU Falcon radiator is excellent for an LS, and you can because you can turn it sideways. They don't have a, a filler on the top, so for a, a, a narrow fronted truck, an AU radiator will probably work really well. Um, it's got the right amount of outlets, so the right size. It's uncanny. It's even got a port for like the steam steam port on the LS engine, and yeah, I I so I'll just sit there and I'll just search, you know, I'll go AU, oh, hey, how big is that? and I'll look up an AU radiator and measure the size and go, yeah, sweet, that's the one. Um, So generally I wouldn't, because they're all plastic, generally I don't take, I'm not too worried about the radiators. I mean, I've thrown a lot of radiators out, I've probably still got 20 under my house at home. Yeah, I I find you don't really use the radiators. So what about kilometers, you know, if if I'm doing a real budget
1: build, I just wanna yank this thing out of a junkyard dog and drop it straight in my truck and wire it all up and go and drive it. Cross my, cross my fingers, there's no ma- massive issues inside it. Um, yeah. what, what sort of Ks on an engine are, is a comfortable amount for that? And, and when are we looking at, right, we've got to tear that thing apart and start to rebuild it?
2: Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, I do get asked it a lot. Uh, the Ks, I mean, LSs are pretty good with Ks. I mean, what I find and with any engine really is it's all about maintenance. I mean, I've mm. seen engines they have got 80,000 Ks on them and the oil's been changed twice and they're not in a good way. Whereas I've bought country cars with 300,000 k's on them, and they've never been opened up, and they're just beautiful because they've been looked after um, and serviced well with good oil, and the, I think the country k's help too, um, mm. less less cold starts and and all that sort of stuff. But look, as a rule, once you start getting up near 200,000 k's, generally you're gonna the lifters are gonna start getting noisy. But then what I find is. So with LS, the unfortunate thing of LS is is to change the lifters, you've got to pull the cylinder heads off. It's not like uh, the older motors where you can just pull the valley cover off, change the lifters and you're off again. So you pull the cylinder heads off, new new head gaskets, new head bolts and change the lifters and change the oil pump on the front of the motor. Um, And then they're good for another 200 plus, probably more because you'll look after them. They're probably good for 300 plus. Um, I mean, I've worked on higher cars and ma- maintained higher cars for people. And they've had LSs with seven, 800,000 Ks on them. that have you know, never had any bottom end touched at all. Um, we find the bores are really resilient and the bottom end bearings are resilient. What normally happens six or 700,000 is the cam bearings will probably wear out somewhere around there and it'll start losing oil pressure because of the cam bearings. And that's sort of time to rebuild. But even then he slaps some bearings in it and some cam bearings and you know same rings and go again you know so they are if they're looked after they're really good um but yeah the achilles heel is definitely the lifters and the oil pump uh and that's about a two hundred thousand k proposition so and i mean it's not expensive you know like an oil pump you buy melling's oil pump ebay 130 bucks or something the lifters are about 250 and the head gaskets and head bolts are probably about 200 so you know for 5 600 bucks you can give it a little mini rebuild and be confident that you've got you know an engine that's going to last you probably longer than the car's going to last you in it i mean most of these things don't get driven that much pick pickups it take a while to do 200,000k's in your weekender so yeah yeah yep. at that point i think it's fit and forget really but but the uh i mean the key is to hear it running if it's got lifter noise it should be addressed If it's got no lifter noise, don't matter if it's got two fifty, three hundred, four hundred. I'd just stick it in. Mm, The lifter noise is a telltale.
1: And a question that's got an impossible answer, probably. But, but what's what's a reasonable price to pay for something?
2: Well, they've gone up because of this virus. I mean, you know, a year ago, you'd LS one and an auto, you'd be about two two and a half grand. Uh, Manual would be three three and a half. Uh, Six liter. An auto or six liter and manual, actually about the same. They'd be sort of five or six somewhere in that region, um, and that's for something with you know hundred and something thousand k's. Um, something that you can expect to be a good runner. But since the since the virus, everything's been getting snapped up very quick. Um, I know LS ones and autos. People are asking. You know, three, three and a half grand even for them now, and suddenly they've all got 120,000 k's on them. It's just amazing how they find all these low k motors.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I've done a
2: Ferris Bueller's day off. <laughs> oh, I've look, it happens. It. <laughs> it happens all the time. There was a there was a guy selling a motor, and he had he had advertised one with 88, one with 168, and one with 203,000. And okay, I went and I went down I had a look, at a chart, and I said, which is which? You know, he only had one motor there. I said, they're all the same motor, aren't they, you dickhead? <laughs> Just, yeah, different prices. It was the same motor. So, I don't know. People yeah. look weird. But, yeah, there's a lot of that that goes on, obviously. Um, you know, always best if you can see it in the car and hear it running and, you know, check the engine number on, on on engine numbers. So, LS is generally, LS1s are very simple. They have V, F, and then the year, like 03, 04. So, there's a very quick way to tell how old an engine is. And all the prefixes for the six litres, they're a bit different, but you can just Google six litre LS engine prefix and you'll get all the prefixes. So DBF will be a 2009 manual motor. And so you can do a little bit of homework yourself to educate yourself a little bit. You yeah. know, if you go look at a VY, that's an 04 car and the motor has VF00, you know, it's not the original motor in the car. So what, what it says on the cluster is probably irrelevant. Mm. And then you got to ask yourself: It's is it a has it been replaced because it's a better thing? Is it replaced because it's cheap dung? You know, it's a dunger. So yeah, there's definitely a bit of that. And yeah, there's a lot of a lot of cowboys out there wrecking stuff out. Yeah,
1: I mean, anytime you buy something secondhand, you you're playing a little bit of Russian
2: roulette. You you know, there's mm. a chance. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I buy them yeah. from auction too, and that that can be a good way to get them. <clears throat> I mean, we've. You know, we've done that before. If you've got a bit of space and you're prepared to put up with a lot of stupid questions about what you're selling, you can save some money there. You know, you'll pick up a, I mean, I bought a a hail-damaged VE SS the other day for five grand, well, four and a half grand out of the Dubbo auctions, and I got it to my house for five grand. So that's the price of the motor and box there. Um, And I've got wheels, I've got a dash cluster, I've got seats, I've got, I mean, it's hail-damaged, so not much panel, but there's some panels. Um, you can wreck some stuff out. You can pull a grand or two back out of that car potentially, and you've got yourself a very cheap motor and box. Um, So that's a good way to do it. Um, LS1 or VE, that's a good way to do it. Um, Although the Calais and the Statesmans, you don't really get much money back out of them, you know, as the SSs, because the SSs have got better seats. They've got limited slip diffs in them, which all the Calais don't. So there's a bit more to get back out of the SS's generally, but yeah, so the auctions are a good way to go, but even then, you know, they're, I mean, in the last couple of years, you used to be able to pick, pick a whole car up for three or four grand a VE with hundred thousand K's. Now the same car or a VF with those K's, it'll push 12 grand sometimes. So they, yeah. you know, people have woken up to how popular they are. Definitely.
1: Yeah, it's definitely the most popular. So, mm. Let me throw this one at you. I I just imported this. I didn't really,
2: but got to pretend. (laughs) Hypothetically, yeah.
1: (laughs) Hypothetically, even though I'd love to. Let's just say I've just imported a, I don't know, whatever, a a 72 C10. No, it's probably a bad example. Let's go a bit earlier. So I've brought over a a 53 Chevy pickup, um, and it's got the original Stove Bolt 6 in it, uh, yeah, running and drive. It's a running and driving truck, so mm. I brought it over here. um You know, I've registered it. I've been driving it around to some shows. I, I love the truck, but you know, it's just crap on the highway. I can't overtake anyone. I'm, you know, mm. and all of a sudden I'm like, all right, maybe I just want to LS this thing, mm. and I give you a call. Say, yeah, Gareth for LS conversions. I want to drive my truck in and yep. drive it back out again. Is there? Yeah. I know that. I know that's another how long is a piece of string but what's an idea of what that might cost me
2: um well look i mean there's a good guideline for an engine conversion uh you know in many many cars um rods included i think about 15 grand is a good a good guideline for an engine conversion so that's engine wiring that's um tail shaft that's all of that you know that's the whole engine conversion dash works everything works as a guideline 15 grand is pretty good that wouldn't include the engine you know fuel system exhaust all of that generally all covered uh obviously if you start saying i want dual two and a half inch exhaust all stainless ticked together obviously you know but just to do a nice neat job practical conversion 15 is a pretty good ballpark Um, then you'll buy your motor and box now you can spend two or three grand on an ls1 in auto you could spend six grand on a six liter in auto you could spend 20 grand on an lsa in auto so there's a big fluctuation there obviously in in what motor you buy Uh, from there you can cam it you can do pulleys you can do this that the other store converters i mean you know you can go mad on mods from there Um, but in something like that then the car's going to need to be engineered so when I'll do a conversion, if, if they're telling me it's engineered, getting engineered and all of that, I'll make sure it's got the right pollution gear and all of that sort of stuff. All those boxes are ticked on the engine side. Uh, but the big thing they're going to want is a brake upgrade. The diff, the old diff might not, may or may not, depending on what truck it is, the old diff may not be up to scratch. And generally when they want a brake upgrade, they sort of want the same size or bigger than the donor car. That's the... You know, engineers have different ideas, but that's the basic guideline. So LSs, it's basically 300 mil front brakes and disc brakes on the rear. Although some engineers don't mind if it's got commercial drums, so you might get away with your diff, but you're certainly going to be looking at a front brake upgrade um, for the 300 mil. So if it's a if it's an old Chevy truck or something like that, I mean, there's a million kits in the states that'll do the job very nicely and is often more cost effective. Or you know, if you're handy yourself, you can. You know go grab some falcon calipers or vt calipers and sort of work something out generally it's only a big thick bit of flat plate and some spacers and whatnot to do you know brakes are generally pretty easy on old things um or, or places like hopper stoppers you know they'll do a 300 mil brake kit for most cars that use a like a falcon rotor and caliper so it's all very easy um so yeah but you're going to be looking at a brake upgrade and then you're going to be probably looking at engineering now you're welcome to do your own engineering. Although I have some engineers I use, and I do do a lot of sort of full packages for people. Um, so if you're going to drive in, drive out. I'm going to source a motor for you. I'm going to do all the uh, car side of things and the brake and diff upgrade, depending on how mad you go on the diff. Again, you can put a, a ball corner from a Falcon in it. It costs you three hundred bucks. So you can put a nine inch in it. it costs you five grand. You know. So, mm. um, but yeah, you're going to be up over thirty grand probably drive in, drive out on a conversion like that pretty quickly, and you start ticking a few extra boxes here and there, and, you know, you get up to 40 pretty easily as well. I mean, I try and look after people on labor, but, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of time that goes into a lot of this stuff, a lot of head scratching. I mean, sometimes, I don't know, I mean, we all know from working on our own cars. sometimes you can go out for eight hours and seemingly achieve nothing. (laughs) And it's like that with conversions. Sometimes you just got to stand there and scratch your head a bit, um, and the more you do, the better you get at them, and you know you've sort of got a, a toolkit of solutions that you keep coming back to for things. Um, you know, like getting speedos working, for an example. So all the LSs, they've all got digital, uh, a digital speed signal. You know, like a pulse signal that comes out of the ECU. Uh, how do you get that working with your 50s or 40s dash that is a cable? Um, so like, decoder digital, make a box that converts an electric signal to a cable. Back to a cable um so you know knowing what's out there you know in that in that sort of way and and knowing what's on hand and having a few in stock for me always because there's no good thing going oh yeah i need one of them and right, i'll order one from america that'll be three weeks um, so just trying to have what you need on hand i suppose but yeah you spend a lot of time is the bottom line it, there is a yeah. lot of time that goes into stuff and planning it out and um, trying to find cost effective stuff. I mean, for a customer coming in for for a conversion, you know, it's good if you can do a bit of your own research and forum bashing and and things like that, and find people that do you know brake kits for your car and things like that, rather than you know paying me to sit and stare at a laptop because anyone can do a bit of Googling. Um, I mean, with a lot of the American stuff, if it's if it's still left hand drive, they make kits for pretty much everything over there, um, and like mounts and headers. You know, to make a custom set of headers for a car you would be looking at two grand or something like that it may be easier and more cost effective to buy a kit from america that you get a sump and headers and mounts and it will speed up the process as well you know it'll shave a good week off the build time and you get your truck back quicker although if yours is a right-hand drive converted american vehicle there's no point because the headers won't work so yeah it's, it's all case by case
1: They do work. You just got to
2: hit them with a hammer. They do work, yeah. You just may not be able to steer as well. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, when you start modifying, you know, obviously things always get tricky when you start, everything starts getting modified. Uh, And then, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's, I don't know if our vehicles are somehow different to theirs, but, you know, we've got kits. I mean, I'm doing this Corvette for someone at the moment, like an 84 C4 Corvette. They got the kit from America. I thought, beauty, this will be easy. I bolt the engine mounts on them and put the engine in, and like it, it's like three mil through the firewall. <laughs> like, come on, guys, you know, there's no gap. It's hard on the firewall, so I've had to, you know, I've got to then pull out those those mounts and rework them. Mm. And if I had a, a dollar for every time a customer's told me, "Oh no, this this is easy. This will fit really easy." I read it on a forum, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, in in my experience. And this goes for doing Commodores, uh, early Commodores with pacemaker headers or rod shop headers or whoever. Nothing fits. I don't think I've ever had anything that's dropped in the way it should have. I sort of look at it like it's a good starting point. You know, it's a good starting point, but you're probably going to have to do some modifying uh, along the way. And if you expect everything to bolt up and everything to be perfect, you know, you're going to be sorely disappointed.
1: (laughs) And then when you start doing things like, you know, your cab over or my truck where you, you're really doing a almost a new vehicle build from scratch. And yes. You're just having to – you have to invent everything as you go. Like, I literally – I got one of my engine mounts in last night. Um, mm. we got a bunch of, bunch of mates. We've got a shed that we have our projects in, and we have a Thursday night, you know, have a few beers and a barbie and work on our trucks and whatever.
2: Nice. Yeah, and
1: I reckon I must have 20 hours in these fucking engine mounts, hey? like, and I've only got one in. It's just because it's it's all custom because you know the the Cummins never was never designed to sit between Chevy chassis rails. They're too narrow. You know, like you were saying earlier. Yeah. You know, my my AC has to go on a high mount. I've had to notch the chassis for my starter motor to slip in there. Mm. to get the whole thing where I'll, where it wants to be, and you know, and everything you do. Yeah, in your head, it's going to be pretty basic, and then when you get in there, it's like.
2: 20 hours yeah that's right and it's test fit after test fit after test fit sometimes i mean i have ls engines and gearboxes that are just hollowed out you know ones that have gone rods out or gearboxes that have blown or whatever and i have these hollowed out engines so if i'm building mounts for a car or something like that i can whip that engine in and out 10 times easily i can even lift it in i mean they're that light the aluminium blocks Mm. um so all that sort of stuff really helps but yeah there is there's a lot of test fitting and there's a lot of having to think 10 steps ahead, you know, when you're doing conversions. So you've got to think, well, okay, I can fit my wiring through there. That's great. And this is something fab shops, sorry, fab shops, but sometimes you guys do this. Don't think anything about the where the wiring's got to run. So you have this cool fab. It's got all these, you know, pretty circles pressed out and all this sort of dimple dyed stuff and all this. And I'm like, where the fuck's the wiring going to go? You know? I'll just run it straight across the floor, like, do us a favour, guys, so, mm. yeah, when you're building a, a whole vehicle, especially custom stuff like pickups and things like that, you got to think 10 steps ahead, where's my ECU going to go, where's my AC going to go, if I put my transmission this close to the firewall, am I going to get my dipstick in, am I going to get wiring down to the transmission, am I going to get a, a shift cable or something, or, you know, you've just got to think of everything and i think a lot of that just comes probably with experience um and certainly building big vehicles helps because you've got more room but yeah i mean when you're doing like little japanese cars or some euro things then you know there's not a lot of space to play with sometimes and you've got to be a bit of a wizard just to make it work
1: yeah and it's it's especially tricky when you when you're taking an engine that was built for a left-hand drive vehicle and putting it into a right-hand drive because i've I found with the five nine cummins you know if it when it's in a left-hand drive vehicle everything's out of the way because that's where your pedal box and your steering's going to go and all that sort of stuff yeah i drop it into my chassis and all of a sudden there's a turbo sitting in the way and you know all these sort of things that so i i've got to do a different manifold and i've got to you know bring the turbo up and push it back so i can get all sorts of things and i mean for me i actually i that's what i thrive on i love it it's a it's like a jigsaw it's like how am i going to solve this problem and then how am i going to do that one but mm. if you if you really just wanted a simple um quick build uh yeah trying to keep things as stock as possible is probably the way to go
2: yeah look and, and trying to try not to spend too much money on this that and the other you know you sort of got a way up i mean like like you say the they're made they're made for left-hand drive cars even though we got them in the commodores uh, if you look at under the bonnet of a VT with an LS in it, the motor is offset one way. It's like a, mm. a good inch offset to, off the center, um, and that's about getting the steering past the starter. You know, now now Rodshop and, and CAE and other people do left-hand starters for LSs. So if your steering's there, you know, you can get the starter over to the other side. Um, there's all sorts of stuff you can buy for them, but you don't want to have to buy every one of them because it's expensive, it gets expensive when you start. And it's only a starter. Like, fuck, if the starter works where it is, great. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not gaining any points by moving it. Um, mm. So that can be really hard. Uh, you know, alternators, especially in old trucks that have got, you know, sort of, na- they come down narrow in the front. You've got the AC and the alternator on the bottom of the motor on the LSs. Now you're probably gonna to have to relocate them up, but which relocation kit are you gonna buy? You know, are you gonna buy the CAE one that sticks it off out one side or the Marks Adapters one that sticks it above and so there is a lot and, and do you even know about these these different kits mm. and options? Um, so yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of ins and outs to building stuff like that. Um I mean, I think like the C chassis are good, you know, and and tunners and things like and HQs. They're they're all good platforms because they're all very common and they've been done extensively. I mean, with a HQ, you can essentially buy a kit for a HQ LS HQ, and you can just make your firewall work around that. So you can you can work a bit smart sometimes. Hmm. Yeah, there's there's
1: probably no one out there building an LS swap kit for a AR five or no, that's know. right
2: <laughs> that's right um but then you know even even four wheel drive stuff i mean we've i've done four wheel drive powered ls stuff in older chassis and used a patrol transfer case because they do do a kit for the patrol transfer case to bolt up to an ls so there is all sorts of all sorts of ways around things um you know if if you're keen enough but yeah i mean if you're sort of doing it in your garage with a limited budget you know, you sort of try and keep it simple. Try not to reinvent too many wheels because it ends up a five-year project and by the time it's done, you can't stand looking at it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's a knock-on effect with moving something. Like you move one one item on on your engine or in your dashboard or anything like that, and then it's, it's sort of going to a location where something else was meant to be and then that needs to move or, you know, you can really get yourself in strife pretty quick.
2: Yeah, very quickly. Absolutely um yeah. yeah and i have i mean i've done a lot of engine conversions and i've painted myself into a corner with things plenty of times because you've just got to you just got to try and then find out why later that it was a bad idea <laughs> did that hq on the the international on the hq chassis buying a i bought a, a f350 Dana a diff and then realized the hq chassis rails were too wide for it <laughs> Um, and then I mounted the cab, and then I realized once the engine and this and that in, the cab didn't sit where I thought it would. And then I'm trying to buy springs to work around botching where I put the cab in the first place. And I mean, if there's a lesson in it, it's everything. It's nice to do a job and finish it, like mount the cab. You mount it, and it's done, and it's a feel good feeling. But sometimes it's better just to tack it, and then tack the engine in, and tack that in, and tack everything in until you've got starting to get a, a bit of a picture. Um, and you're starting to get some confidence about what you're doing, and then, then commit to welding. Like this um, GMC cab over I'm doing now, I, I mentioned to you I think before we started recording that it was originally on a Ram chassis, and that didn't work out. Four-wheel drive Ram chassis it's too high, Cummins is too long. There's innumerable problems, and I'm pulling springs out, sitting it on bump stops, trying to do this and that to make it work, trying to work this out, and in the end I just went, no, this isn't going to work. Um, but then, you know, I got this, I got this C30 chassis for it. So I got it mounted on the C30 chassis, just loosely with a couple of G clamps and whatever. Uh, and then the next thing I did was sit the Cummins on the back of behind the motor, uh, behind the cab, sorry. I sat the Cummins there cause I knew and sure enough, like it came down like two and a half inches once the Cummins went into it. And then I rolled it back and forward a bit and, you know, let it, the suspension level out and it came down a little more um then i bung the interior i've got my seat for it audi q7 seat it's going to be very cool in a in an old truck a rear seat from an audi q7 that's a good tip for an early chef cap it's
1: exactly what's in my truck
2: yeah 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 i think everyone's onto that one now so you know and i load all that stuff up into the truck and then i'll see where the ride height's sitting then and then i might think about now once i've got all that in i might think about where i'm going to mount my cab but before I do that as well, I'm going to work out my wheels. So I've, I have tried some Alcoas, but they still sit about five inches in from the guard. Uh, even with the big truck adapters and all of that, they still sit quite a ways in. So they don't quite look right. So I got a super single truck wheel. And that looks really cool. That comes out to almost the guard line, looks really great. Um, so I won't won't be running a Julie, but on the rear I can run like a 12 inch wide super single with and it's all dish like the you know the no offset it'll look super cool mm. and I think that's the way I'll go. but before I mount the chassis I'm getting that wheel on I know what tire height I'm using. Uh, ideally I've got the wheel mounted on the tire but sometimes you know that's not possible so you got to use your imagination a little bit and you get it sat you work out where the lip of the wheel is you know relative to the guard and all of those things and you've got to think about all of that before you mount the cab if you want it to be you know a good
1: a good build and that's experience you know you learn you've learned that from building your other ones and yep. you know what and you know like you you can mount your cab where you want it down lower because you want your truck to look low and mm. then when you when you go to build the bed on the back because of how you, your rear tires are sitting, your guard has to sit up higher, and all of a sudden the, the tub doesn't match the cab properly. And
2: that's right. there's
1: so many things to think
2: about, yeah. You gotta think yeah. about the length of your truck as well. Like, I was thinking, how high should I have this, you know, the step of the COE? I'm like, how high up should I have that off the ground? I'm thinking about 200 mil probably, because if I've got the thing 100 mil on a, a, a chassis that's 160 inch wheelbase, I'm gonna, I won't be able to get out of my own driveway. You know, mm. as soon as that front wheel drops i'll drop it straight on the step mm. and you know there's all bags are great you know you can do all your bag stuff nowadays and that allows a lot of flexibility in rods um but i you know I'm, I'm not a big a huge fan of bags necessarily i don't need to air out the truck i just need it at a ride height that's practical and looks cool you know which is a very simple sentence to say but a lot a lot more difficult in practicality to do yeah, so look, there's plenty in it, hey. Plenty mm, in it.
1: Nice. It's it's good fun. It's well, awesome. well. We might start. We might start wrapping it up, mate. But um, appreciate your your insight into the into the LS swap because you know there's a lot of guys out there that are they're thinking about doing this sort of a thing or or they have done it or.
2: Yeah, mention the wiring looms again. I mean, don't be scared off by the wiring um there's lots of people you don't have to bring them to me lots of people doing standalone looms for ls's so you send me the right bits for your ls loom i'll send you back an ls loom with its own relay and fuse box uh, and you've got to hook up power ignition earth there'll be a wire for the fuel pump one or two wires for the fans one for the taco one for the speedo one for the alternator job done that's it. There's you know if you can wire up a stereo you can wire up a standalone loom so, yeah, don't be scared off on the wiring side of things because it is, you know, it is very rewarding to have something that just starts off the key every time, drives nice, good manners, good fuel economy, good power, you know. Don't be scared, you old-timers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, that's awesome. And if they want to get in contact with you, um, you've got a Facebook page called LS Conversions. Yep. Uh, you're on Instagram, at LS underscore conversions and you've got a website that doesn't seem to do anything
2: yeah no it's not very good the website (laughs) i've I've got someone supposed to be building it for me but they're a mate and you know how those mates jobs sort of work out so carl at microtech calling you out for being a shit web guy um but yeah you can email me sales at dot au. facebook page is very active always can reach me there or give me a call um Happy to talk about your conversions and, you know, work out the best way to do it. Uh, you'll find I'm not one of those sort of, you know, some of those bigger businesses you ring up and you sort of, you got you got to throw some money down before they'll have a conversation. I will have a chat with people. They're genuine and, and take the time because, you know, I want lots of cool cars on the road like everyone else, you know. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And you're located in
2: Sydney? Yes, uh, in the Blue Mountains, just on the western fringes of Sydney. Perfect.
1: All right, Gareth. Well, thanks again, mate. And, um, you yeah, know, I'm definitely going to, come catch up with you when I can, when us Victorians are allowed to leave our prison and uh, we'll come and and check out your truck.
2: Yeah, it is getting a bit like, they're saying we should build a wall now. It'd be just like Trump. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But yeah, next time, we we should all get over to America for the next big thing. I wanna go over there and buy a few things. I'd love it.
1: Mm. Yeah, good fun. Bye mate, cheers for your time.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Well, that's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All information shared in our episodes is general and you should contact your engineer for advice on your build. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with friends and fellow enthusiasts on Facebook, iTunes or the good old word of mouth. I appreciate hearing feedback, good and bad, so please feel free to shoot me an email, podcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in advertising on the podcast and have a relevant business, please get in touch. And finally... If you have a project you're building, it can be hard to find the time to work on it. Just spend 15 minutes a day, even if you only unbolt one panel or mount one bracket, you'll be amazed at how quickly it all adds up. The music you hear in the background of this podcast is called Hammer On Down by Uncle Bonehead. Until next week, enjoy the ride.